0: Welcome to TSE Pods, the podcast series from the Taipei School of Economics and Political Science. Join us in our last installment of Professor Acharya's special lecture with your cup of coffee as we engage in enlightening conversation with some of the brightest minds in the field of political science and economics. Let us listen in to his thoughts of regionalism and its impact on international affairs and world order.
1: Then uh, regionalism and regional orders, there used to be a time not long ago uh, that the European Union was seen as the model for the rest of the world because it is the most advanced form of regionalism and that is true. But to a model, you can be very advanced but doesn't mean you become a good model because you are so advanced that other countries can't, uh, other regions can't follow you. And uh, now the European Union has stopped doing that because it is in deep crisis itself. But uh, When I studied regionalism, and I happened to be in uh, Singapore, uh, Southeast Asia, and I studied Southeast Asia and ASEAN, and I found that uh, actually I thought the ASEAN model, of course, not perfect, but actually more adaptable, more applicable to other parts of the world, the European Union. So, regions are not uh, geographic constructs, they are imagined communities, uh, culturally, or uh, they're not cultural or uh, geographic uh, entities, but socially and politically constructed. They have uh, both material foundations and ideational foundations. Uh, I advocated that uh, you should not study countries, or sorry, like you should not study Asia, uh, China, Japan, Korea, uh, or Indonesia. You should study Asia as Asia. And that was a very controversial proposition. A lot of uh, uh, scholars, including some from Cornell University who had studied Southeast Asia country by country, uh, didn't like it. Um, so, The Quest for Identity, this book was the first uh, book really, um, uh, 2000. He uh, said, you know, you should study regions as regions and not just as a you know, conglomeration of countries. Thus, this, uh, the whole is not the sum of its parts. So, again, uh, created uh, quite a bit of controversy, but now very, very widely accepted. Uh, and uh, uh, looking at history, very much, uh, you know, uh, uh, going deep into history to study regionalism rather than, you know, when ASEAN was created in 1967, So starting ASEAN from 67 only gives you part of the picture. Starting the foundations of ASEAN, historically, going back to the period of Marjapahit or uh, Srivijaya or Malacca actually gives you a lot more uh, context to understanding of ASEAN. Uh, Looking at how regions are constructed from inside rather than from outside, as you probably know, a lot of regions are named by imperial powers. So Far East was named by the British Foreign Office. Uh, Middle East also by the British Foreign Office, and uh, even terms uh, like uh, Near East is another term. And near to what? I mean, uh, so uh, so so breaking the, and Southeast Asia itself was uh, based on the Southeast Asia Command. Uh, which was actually headquartered in Colombo or Kandy, not in today what we call Southeast Asia. So, outsiders may name regions, but you cannot understand the dynamic of regions, because that's why Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan, India are not part of Southeast Asia. They were part of the Southeast Asia Command, but they're not part of Southeast Asia. The Southeast Asians decided that they have their own region. They don't want to have India, Sri Lanka. They They really actually wanted to have Sri Lanka. Because of the Buddhist connection, but the Sri Lankans did not want it at that time, but certainly not the Pakistanis and Indians uh, were invited to join ASEAN. So looking at the construction of regions, now we have uh, you know, um, Asia, Asia Pacific, now it's Indo-Pacific. Regions are always changing their names based on politics and uh, ideology and, and strategic developments, but uh, ultimately the conception of region that's going to prevail is the one that is given by the people themselves. So today we have two competing conceptions of Indo-Pacific, one from the United States, uh, Trump and Biden, one from Indonesia. I have no doubt whatsoever that the Indonesian conception will remain, prevail. Just like the Indonesian created ASEAN outlasted the American created Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, or CETO. Okay, uh, and uh, I do also accept that regions change, you know, our nations come and go. Why not regions? So maybe Southeast Asia will be, I'm writing a book uh, right at the moment called The End of Southeast Asia for Penguin Random House. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, There's no reason to say that regions are permanent constructs. But uh, at the same time, as long as the regional Southeast Asians themselves keep it alive, and I'm fairly confident they'll keep it alive for quite some time, Southeast Asia will remain very different region from East Asia or South Asia, despite the, phenomenal growth of Chinese and uh, to a lesser extent Indian influence. Okay, uh, so at the global level, we also changed the uh, work to sort of change the field of our regional integration to comparative regionalism. Um, so again, moving beyond the European Union model uh, uh, to a more sort of a, every region for itself or, a, you know, uh, there's no single universal conception of regional cooperation. The European Union model is not universal. Um, so, the basic reason for that is to look at the uh, uh, politics of uh, other parts of the world. But the European Union was created uh, with integration, supranationalism in mind. But the rest of the world, it was preserving sovereignty was far more important than diluting sovereignty. But they have lost their sovereignty for 300 years. So, it's very commonsensical to say that the European model would not work. But the European Union spent billions of dollars in giving aid. Uh, to replicate its model until very recently. And I have been uh, a chair of three international advisory boards of EU-funded programs just to impart the European Union model, although to to their credit, they do have skeptics like me actually be sharing uh, projects. Uh, But I try to tell them that I used to look at uh, partnerships, not models. Uh, partnerships are more important uh, and uh, now the European Union is doing partnership but unfortunately the European Union itself is in a big crisis now uh, because of uh, Ukraine, the Eurozone crisis, Brexit and the like. Anyway, um, I also, uh, with the book with Ian Johnson, we uh, did in 2007, we argued that uh, you should judge regions success or failure by what they have set for themselves not what you have said for themselves. So the African Union was never created, OAU, never created to advance free trade. It was actually to maintain the sanctity of its borders, which was basically artificially created by the Europeans. Now, today, uh, African Union is one of the most successful regional organizations in the world, but very little intra regional trade. But the very few boundaries of Africa have actually changed, Ethiopia, Eritrea, maybe, But uh, out of uh, close to 50 countries, uh, African Union has maintained boundaries peacefully by accepting post-colonial boundaries. Most to their dislike, though, that uh, they didn't like European boundaries, um, but they accepted it practically, that changing it will be worse. Asia didn't do that. That's why we have territorial conflicts, China and India, because the British divided uh, China-India, the uh, McDonald's or McMahon Line. India-Pakistan boundary was decided in two, three weeks, uh, so, so Asia doesn't really have that same norm of post-colonial boundaries, or boundaries created by colonial powers, uh, as being accepted a uh, norm. So that's why Asia has more territorial disputes than Africa has. Africa has disputes, but not as many violent, big conflicts. Now, so I judge the African Union to be one of the most successful regional organizations in the world. Um, and now, when it comes to economics, uh, Southeast Asia does have uh, that claim because uh, m- comp- compared to Northeast Asian the regionalism, compared to South Asian regionalism, ASEAN is actually much more integrated. Uh, and uh, you know, if you're a Chinese trying to get a visa to Japan, uh, you know, uh, sometimes Japanese will not give you a visa. In Southeast Asia, no Southeast Asian country needs a visa to go to another Southeast Asian country. For for tour. it's like Europe. Uh, and that's, that's a, a remarkable because of the differences in their uh, quality, of, uh, sorry, standard of living. Singapore, Brunei, Singapore is higher per capita income than U.S. But look at Myanmar. Well, Myanmar now is a bit difficult. But technically, you can still go to Singapore with a Myanmar passport and stay for 15 days at least or maybe a, a month. You don't need a visa. Uh, so I don't think that's possible in Northeast Asia. Uh, and uh, South Asia, if you're an in Indian going to Pakistan or vice versa, it's almost impossible. So, so, so give credit to South East Asians uh, for doing something um, because that's, that's the model uh, that, that they created. Anyway, uh, so now people don't talk about European Union as a model. The field has moved to comparative regionalism. So this new Oxford Handbook on Comparative Regionalism, like five years ago, to which I contributed a chapter called Regionalism Beyond EU-Centrism, pretty much become the standard norm now uh, in studying regionalism. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, it'll be all integration theory, uh, European integration theory becoming the universal model or trying to be the universal model. So you can see that the world is becoming more pluralized, more non-Western models more non-Western ideas getting accepted including by Europeans, and to uh, the credit of the Europeans, uh, and here I distinguish between Europeans and Americans. American IR scholars tend to be much more territorial and status quo biased. Europeans are much more willing to change and adapt. And uh, I don't know why, because of the loss of power, Uh, maybe they have a better understanding of the world outside, there used to be colonial powers, but somehow Europe is much more friendly to new ideas, a more pluralistic world than the United States, We still hang on to the old idea of hegemony. Now finally, uh, area studies, or second finally, uh, area studies also, I mentioned that area studies used to be very national. Uh, you study, if you are an East Asian specialist, you said China or Japan, Ezra Vogel, one of the few people who actually studied both China and uh, Um, uh, and uh, Japan. I I worked with him, we taught together in Harvard uh, and I know his story quite well. Actually he and I came to Taipei uh, once to meet Li Donghui. That's kind of a long story, Uh, but uh, um, but generally people are very territorial, uh, nationalistic when it comes to area studies, Um, but uh, on the other hand Throughout the region, actually Southeast Asia, a regional perspective has taken hold and, uh, and also area studies has gone global, no longer not only cont- uh, study of regions, but also connections between regions, transnational area studies, comparative uh, area studies. Again, a lot of my work has been promoting that sort of expansion, I didn't think area studies will survive just by being national. Uh, controversial, but uh, it has had big impact. I was invited to launch the Global Area Studies MPhil program at Oxford last year, and uh, so that was my my, my, my speech. Everyone's world, but not one world. I don't think that it's going to be a global village. One world is a bad idea. Uh, we should have cultural diversity, but we should also enjoy and respect each other's culture. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and area studies should be like that. The world is connected, but you can area studies, because a lot of people in IR wants to break down area studies. They don't like area studies. So area studies don't do theory. They just go to the region and get married and, uh, you know, uh, go native, and they don't do theory. And uh, this is a kind of height of uh, arrogance, uh, which we challenged uh, in uh, some associations, like uh, I was part of the Asian Political and International Studies Association as its founding president. And uh, we talk about area studies becoming broader, but at the same time, not a cultural sovereignistic that, uh, you know, uh, because there is always this tendency to think Chinese are unique, Indians are unique, Southeast Asians are unique. I think nobody is really unique, Um, there is always diffusion, uh, there is always connection, always mutual learning and area studies should exploit that rather than become deeply deeply into less and less uh, one, one country or one even one region now i'm not saying everybody has bought into this there's still a lot of debate but there is certainly much wider acceptance that area studies should not be just on a national parochial basis
0: that ends today's podcast throughout the episode we developed a deeper understanding of international affairs Interested in similar thoughts, political economy, or other topics? Well, stay tuned to hear the thoughts of the world-leading scholars in the field. Only here at TSE Pods, the official podcast of the Taipei School of Economics and Political Science. You can visit us at tse.nthu.edu.tw and subscribe. See you next episode.